Lord, as we continue to celebrate the revelation of your love to us and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we rejoice that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we lay all of our sins and our burdens on him, trusting that in him we have forgiveness and life and salvation. So keep us in that faith. Keep our eyes on Jesus. And bless us now as you study your word. May we see Jesus and trust in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so John 6. Any questions from last week? Anything went over last week that's made you uh, ponder in the time before we met again? Anything you wanted to review or clarify or say? You any good jokes? Anything? Okay, seeing none, we will read. And then if you think of something, you're always welcome to bring it up. So let's read John 6, verses 28 through 31. (coughs) Then they said to him, What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give me this bread always. Okay, thank you very much. So, if you'll remember the conversation, just um, in my Bible, we have to turn back a page, but if you just look to the verses ahead or above this, he said, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has set his, his seal. So, we're like, okay, great. If we're not supposed to work for bread that, that perishes, then what kind of bread are we supposed to work for? Or what are we supposed to work for? What kind of works does God require? That's the question. Okay, and that's where we pick up a conversation. So he asked, they asked Jesus, so what must he do to do the works of God? And number one, so what is the work of God? To believe. Okay, so now we have transitioned from, we're talking about, what Old Testament figure have we been discussing in this passage so far? Moses. Okay, and when you think of Moses, what did Moses give to Israel? <coughs> he gives the law. And so they're thinking, oh, okay, so there are certain things in the Mosaic law that we're supposed to do that will end up in eternal life, right? So, so what are these works we're supposed to do? That's what they're asking him. What are the works, plural, of God that God requires? And what does he say? The work is to believe, Okay. So now, Jesus says the work is to believe. Now, this is, this is really important as we continue through this section that the, the transition is from seeing Moses as the definition of God's interaction with, with Israel to seeing Jesus as the one in whom we put our faith. And this is going to continue through. It's already gone on. It's going to continue through this conversation. It's also kind of the whole point of the book of John, by the way, is that what God did in the Old Testament was done to point us toward his greater salvation done in Jesus. Okay? Does that make sense? So, this is also true of the law. The law of Moses was given to get us to Jesus. And now that we have Jesus... We don't put our faith in or try to earn God's favor by the works of the law, but instead through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Does that make sense? I know it's not complicated. That's just the way it goes. The question is, what is the work of God? Yeah. Now, is God doing the work? Very good. That's exactly right. So, now we have this nebulous phrase, the work of God. And that can either be the work that God, what work does God do, or it can be what works please God, or what are godly works. Which one is it? 
how would it look if it was the work that God does? What work does God do? He works faith. Is that okay? Are you okay with that? Does God work faith? Yes. Yeah. Right? It's in the catechism. This is something we confess. And Jesus will even say this later. It's that the Father draws people to Jesus. So if anyone believes in Jesus, because the Father has drawn him, right? So God does this work of faith. Is faith something you do? Only after God has worked it in you, right? So now that God has created faith in you, you believe, right? So this is the work of God, to believe in the one he has sent. And it's very good that all of you notice this and right away say, okay, this is not something I'm doing for God. This is something God does for me and gives to me as a gift, right? And then I respond with faith and, and, and life of service. But, but the work of God to believe in Jesus is primarily his work, right? Primarily meaning first. It is his work in you to draw you to faith in Christ. That's what he does. Right? And you heard it this morning. How do you, how does that happen? How does God give you faith in Christ? Through his word. Through his word. Okay? Is that word in baptism? Yes, as a matter of fact, in church today, we actually said if there is no word, then there is no baptism because then it's just water, right? The way the water becomes this baptism that gives the promises of God is that it's water combined with the word. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is, this is really important is that we, we continue to focus on this action of God to save, and then how is he doing this? Any questions or thoughts on that? Yes, Susan. This one of the reasons why I pay close attention when the words of institution are given to the That's the most important part. Right. Yes. So this is why we repeat, <coughs> we repeat the words of Jesus at the celebration of the Lord's Supper because those are the words that he gave us. Okay, And Paul gives us this as a pattern in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, just as the Lord Jesus passed on to me, so I pass on to you. And then he repeats the words of institution. Right? So, so this is how we celebrate the sacraments. Is They are the elements that God has given us joined with his holy word and therefore they do what he promises. They forgive sins, give eternal life, strength and faith. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. Any other questions or thoughts? Steve. Uh, don't want to get in the weeds. I was just thinking about when I failed with Calvinism. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, we're just waiting for God to do something. And I think the beauty of Lutheranism is that I do a work, but it's basically a work of I got up to go to church today. But it was work based on promise mm -hmm. because I knew. So does you know? Okay, I go to community. So I have. Is there any room in here in this verse to say, okay, you want to work, get belief, and the sacraments is how you get belief. Welcoming mm -hmm. the word, divided appropriately, is getting belief. And I'm just kind of curious if that would fit as if you, as a. It's not a work that I do to earn anything. It's a work of getting a promise. It's a work of receiving a promise. Receiving it. Yeah. Yeah. So faith is our our our. It's it's God. The Holy Spirit gives us faith that we might believe in Jesus, and that that faith is what grasps onto the promises of God. Okay. So it. So we're always, we're always seeing anything we do. Remember, when you have God and stick people, the arrow can never go this way when, when, the, when the question is merit or standing before or relationship with, right? It's never something we do that causes God. No, the only thing we do before God is we sin and therefore we must 
repent, right? We did that this morning. When it comes to merit and satisfactions and good things and salvation, it's God doing it for us. That's the movement. So God in Christ saves, right? God in Christ gives you salvation. God in Christ gives you faith. Now, once God has given you faith in Christ, then what do you do? You say thanks, because that was awful nice of him, right? When someone does something nice for you, you say, at least my mom told me, you say, thank you. So how do you say thank you to God? Yeah, by serving him. You live according to his will. Is it saying thanks to God by continuing to sin? He says, I sent, I sent my son to give up his very life so that all that sin is removed from you and you don't, you don't have the penalty of sin anymore. You're like, thanks a lot. Now I'm going to go sin. He would say, that's not really being thankful. Right? That's not what thankfulness looks like. Thankfulness looks like, thanks. I will go live according to your will. Isn't this what we say in the confession? We might delight in your will and walk in your ways. See, that's the result of forgiveness. It doesn't cause forgiveness, right, Steve? It receives forgiveness and therefore you live. Uh, so if it's God doing all the work, right? Yep. Uh, so then why doesn't everybody believe in Jesus? Because they're sinners. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, if God does, if he desires all people to be saved and he does all the work, Yep. Then why doesn't everybody believe? Yep. You want to answer that? Sure. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> can you? <laughs> no, nobody can. That is the actual crux telegorum. This is the unanswerable question of theology. Is that we, it, it seems like a logical progression that if God and if God, therefore God. But it doesn't actually work. And, and this is... So then... Um, so the Holy Spirit, his work is always, uh, if God sends the Holy Spirit into somebody's heart, it always works. Yes, or somebody, or the Holy Spirit can be in somebody's heart and you can say, no, I don't believe. Or is the Holy Spirit not in their heart? Like God hasn't worked faith in unbelievers yet? Or how does that, because we can't, we can't accept God. Right, right, good. So can we not reject God? Okay, good. Those are good questions. Bob would like to, Pastor Zagor would like to, now he would like to answer. <laughs> now he's got an idea. Actually, well, I, I don't have an answer to the crux table. Yes, nobody does. But it, every answer that you give to that question that doesn't just leave it in God's hands ends up with a, a demonstrably wrong answer. Right. So you can, you can prove from the scripture that any answer you would give to that question is wrong. Super. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So this is why I asked the way I asked is, would you like to answer the question? Well, then then can you? Because but the thing that we do know that helps us to at least get our get our faith wrapped around this is God, for reasons that we can't understand, always puts Himself in a position to be rejected, which probably has to do with the fact that love can't be coerced. So. God, the eternal, the eternal creator of all things, allows weak creatures to say no to his will. And we do that every time we break a commandment. We do that throughout our lives. How does that happen, and what does that mean in terms of eternal salvation? That's, that's I think the reason we can't answer the question is our minds and our sight are not big enough to see what the picture is. And knowing that we have the ability to destroy everything and that we haven't is part of the reason for our thanks and praise. Because there is nothing that we can point to where we can say, no, there is no possibility I could have wrecked that. But right. God, has, God, has, God has declared to us that in spite of that very real possibility, we're still his own and his beloved. Okay, good. I hope you all heard that. Now, here's the way I talk about it, which is going to say the same thing, just with a diagram, basically. Okay, so, stick figure, our favorite person, who is not actually neutral in birth, but I don't know how else to draw it. 
will either end up in one or two destinations eternally, right? You guys have seen this before? He's going to either go to heaven. heaven. Yay, you're positive this morning. <laughs> Some weeks you guys say hell first. I don't know what happens there. Right? Scripturally speaking, after a person dies, they will face judgment, and that judgment will result in either eternal life or eternal separation from God. Okay? Those are the, so we are using these terms to kind of signify those two destinations, right? Yeah? You all cool with that? Is there any other options? No. That's it. So the question is, how do you get there? How do we determine where a stick figure goes? How do we figure that out? So who's, who gets the credit if he goes in heaven? God. Right? We know that. God, that's God's working. That We agree with that, right? That's what he said. He, he's the one that causes all this. So logically speaking, if God's the one that sends everyone to heaven, then whose fault is everyone goes to hell? God? No. So he just chooses some to go to heaven, some to go to hell, right? That's logic. Is it scriptural? No. This is what's called double predestination. Okay, and this is not taught in Scripture. This is taught in Scripture, but this is not. Okay, so we can't do that. We go, no, 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 that doesn't work. That doesn't work. So they say, oh, well, obviously, if you'll go to hell, whose fault is it? It's their own. Oh, boy, now I've got issues. <laughs> okay, so if it's man's fault that they go to hell, then it's man's work that gets them to heaven, right? Because if it's if I'm sinning and I go to hell because of my sin, then I've got to fix that and get to heaven. So how do I do that? I start doing good works, good works but right? What, but what if the work is just to believe and enter right. the Holy Spirit? So, so we're going to say, okay, it's not like good works like serving the poor. It's just right. believing is good works, right? So if I believe, then I go to heaven. So I get the credit to go to heaven. And we say, is that scriptural? No. At the end, no, it's not. Okay, but this is called, well, there's a lot of things it's called, but basically, this is Roman Catholicism or any theology that teaches that works is the way that you are saved, that you merit salvation by doing, even if it's asking Jesus in your heart or make a decision for Jesus, anything that puts the action of salvation into man is teaching this. Okay, and the scriptures don't teach that. That's just not a scriptural teaching. So, swing and I miss part two. And I'm messing up my thing. <laughs> what happened here? I have no idea. Okay. The scriptural teaching is simply this. That if, if, if sinners end up in heaven, God gets all the credit for it. All the praise, all the glory. It's because it's God's grace, God's gift, that we are saved Right? It's not by works, but it's by grace. Okay? And this is accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This whole salvation thing. Now, if stick person born in original sin ends up in hell, it's not God's fault, it's their own fault. Okay? Now, you will notice quickly this is an irreconcilable logical problem. And as I always tell you all, welcome to theology. Because <laughs> theology never resolves itself in a way that makes sense to us. Theology is simply the goal to express the truths of Holy Scripture. It's not to explain them. It's to confess them. And this is the thing that we confess without hesitation, is that when it comes to salvation, God alone does the work. God alone is responsible. God alone gets the credit and the glory and the praise. Right? When it comes to condemnation, sinners alone are to blame. If you believe, why do you believe? Because God has given you faith. If you don't believe, why don't you believe? Because you're a sinner and you've rejected God's grace. And you've embraced your sin instead of grace. Right? The scriptures actually talk this way. They've chosen to remain in disbelief. God gave them grace and they chose to live in disbelief. Stiff-necked people. Right? That's what it says. 
Okay, so what happens is we just let this tension remain. We just leave it alone. And we say, I don't know, I can't explain how an almighty, all-loving God allows this to happen. But he does. I don't know. Right? I don't know. Scripture doesn't answer this question, so we don't either. But then how, okay, so if it's God does all the work. Yep. So we're believing. Yep. But how do we know if God has done the work in us because... Is faith just a feeling? Like, no. Feel, well, okay, but say, I mean, I'm okay with this, but I'm thinking, like, if you're, if you're going to go witness to somebody, right. and they'll be like, okay, today I feel like God is with me, and then yesterday, well, I just had a really crappy day, so I felt like I didn't have faith anymore, and I was going to go to hell. Like, if, if God does not work in everybody's hearts, uh-huh. because we know he doesn't, because people right. go to hell. Well, okay. Oh, but don't don't move God in that situation. You, right. you just cross the line. Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> don't put God over here. Okay, yes. <laughs> Let God stay over here. Okay. So how how do you know you are saved if faith is the only way you're saved and God is the only one who does it? How do you know that God has done it for in you or in Stick Man? And yeah. then how do you know? I mean, He never takes it away, right? Right. 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 But then how do you know if faith is really kind of just boils down to a feeling? No. Or not? I mean, how do you know? Yeah, because this is, this is such an important question. I mean, and, and this, is, this is such an important question. I, I, I'm taking it very seriously, and I want to make sure we're all on the same page on this. This, this is the issue. How do you know? Because I walked into church today and the first words I had to say was, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. And I deserve from God eternal punishment. Those aren't light words. If those are true words, how in the world do I know that God is not going to give me what I deserve? How am I going to know that? Tom, how do you think we're going to know that? Christ is the witness. Alright. Yeah, see what happens is this is why, this is why what we preach is Christ and Him crucified. See, the, whenever the answer to the question is, well, I know I'm saved because I believe <laughs> or because I feel or because I, you're always going to cast doubt on this, right? You're always going to be doubting this. I don't know. Maybe I don't feel that way. Or maybe, like you said, maybe I had a terrible day and I don't believe God exists today. That happens. It happens, doesn't it? Guys, it's okay to be honest, even though we're in church. You can be honest. It happens. So you never measure even your faith by you. You say, I know I'm saved because of what God has done in Christ Jesus. Right? I know salvation is accomplished because it is finished. God's work of saving this world is complete in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was incarnate, lived a holy life, kept the will and law of God. He died on a cross, right? He rose again. It's finished. According to scriptures, that's the forgiveness of sins. Right there, it's done. Right? So you don't look here, you look there. And you say, that is God saving the world. And they say, well, well, that's, that's all well and good. That, but that happened 2,000 years ago. What does that do with you? And that's when you say, it was given to me. It was given to me. I didn't do anything. It was given. And they said, well, well what do you mean? You just heard it and you thought it was a good idea? Say, no, 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 no. It was placed upon me. It was placed upon me in the waters of Baptism. baptism. Right? God said, I'm going to give all of this to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And what does Titus say? Through that, water, justification by faith. See? So they say, well, oh, because you feel it, or you think it, or you're so wonderful. He said, no, 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 not me. Not me. Death and resurrection of Christ accomplished it. Delivered to me in baptism. Delivered to me when I hear the word. Delivered to me in the eating and drinking of his body and blood. Right? These are things that we point to outside of ourselves that don't ever change. 
If you feel good about it, does that change? No. If you feel terrible about it, if you don't understand it, does that change? Nope. It's still true. Still baptized. Christ still died and rose. That's the deal. So what we do is we say, it's not a feeling. Because my feelings, seriously, I mean, <laughs> you know, they can change with the weather. On a hot day, I feel good and happy. On a cold day, I'm... Right? So we don't want to measure it by that. But so what we do is we point to something outside of us that God has promised to work through. He's promised. So we cling to that. And that's the same thing as our witness. We don't walk up to, to witness somebody and talk about them or us. What do we talk about? God in Christ. What God has done in Christ. And we say, and that's for you. That's for you. That, that's a promise made by God. That, that death and resurrection of Christ is for you. And they say, what must I do to be saved? You say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do I do that? It kind of sounds to me like you just did. How? The speaking of the word. The, the hearing of the word. God works faith. Now, we want to get them baptized, right? We want to bring them to the church. The pastor will instruct them and we'll get them baptized. Right? And then we'll all rejoice in that. And we'll say, look, see? Sinner, washed. Sinner, killed and resurrected. Just like you and me. So, so we're always pointing toward the promises of God kept in Christ Jesus. We never, we never point here. Not, not necessarily just not to Kevin, but to yourself. Don't point to Kevin either, just seriously. But you, know, you never point into yourself. You never point, the arrow never goes this way for salvation. The arrow always goes to God, what God has done in Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I know it's hard. But that, that's the scriptural way that it kind of works. Now, I had a lot of hands while I was talking, so. I always just say to, when I doubt or wonder about my kids and things like that, we just cling to what you said, trust in, I just say, what does God promise? Yep. I, I trust in that. Right. And, and this is, my favorite definition of faith is simply trusting the promises of God. I'm just going to trust that what God said is true. Even if I don't understand it or it doesn't look like that's right. it's happening. It's not understanding, it's not perception, it's trust. And, and, and I say this all the time. I put all of my eggs in that basket, in, in what God has done in Christ. I don't, I don't say, well, it's that, or maybe if I work enough, it'll supplement it. No, no I just say, I got, it's all there. All the trust. When it comes to God, I'm going to run to the cross of Christ. I'm going to trust in the promises and baptism, the Lord's Supper, the hearing of the word, because God has said it. I'm just going to go with it. That's all my hope, all my trust right there. That's faith. Faith is trusting the promises of God. Okay? Had a couple other hands? Robin? Right. And then we have... Well, and see, here's the cool thing. And you guys all know this. You've heard this in sermons your whole life. But the disciples are so awful at this. Right? The disciples are your examples, like the Old Testament saints, where they're just kind of walking around getting it wrong all the time. And at the end, what are they called? Apostles. You guys did so poorly, you now go tell the rest of the world. Like, what? How does this work? I mean, Pastor brought this up in the sermon today. How can Saul, the person who's killing Christians, end up writing 13 letters of the New Testament? That's weird. Right? That's weird. But this is how God works. He... he it's not like he's calling you to do this thinking you're going to be perfect tomorrow. He's fully aware of your faults, including your inability to believe all this. That's why we say with Luther in this small catechism, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the, Tom, Holy Spirit, right, has called me by the gospel, enlightened with his gifts, sanctified and kept in one true faith, and the same way he calls God as light and the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in that one true faith. So it's the Spirit that does this. We, even for the continuance in the faith, we put all of our faith in God. We say, it's up to you. you I have to simply trust that God is going to do God's stuff, right? So all of this, all of salvation... All of this, we're going to put all of our trust in God. So as you put all of your trust in God, if you're judging how God feels about you, 
on the basis of your feelings and our feelings are tainted by sin, what will our feelings always be? Right. So our feelings are always going to be something less than what it is. Right? Something less than God's truth. That's why that's why we're studying the word. That's why the word is an objective thing given to us. And I always tell you guys this. Don't interpret God through your circumstances. Oh, God must love me. Things are going well today. And then tomorrow, I got an accident. Our hot water heater died. You know, this didn't work out. I got a phone call, whatever. Like, I guess God doesn't love me anymore. You can't do that. We, We have to trust in the promises of God outside of us that don't change because if it, whatever we interpret it through our feelings are always going to be tainted with sin. Right? So we go to the promises of God in His Word. The same Word that's been read by God's people for, for thousands of years. The same promises of the same God. Right? Is there another? Al? So, uh, I have many friends in other denominational circles and Yeah. they've said or they are consumed many times worrying about losing their salvation. Yep. As a theologian, how would you respond to someone who was saying, gosh, I feel like I've lost my salvation? I would point them to Christ. I would simply rehearse for them the promises of God kept in Christ for them. And I, that's, that's what I encourage all of you to do in your witness to, to your closest friends who are or aren't Christians. doesn't make any difference. It's the same message. We point them to the goodness of God fulfilled in Christ for you. Right? For you. And they say, well, I, I, I. You say, yeah, me too. Dude, I'm in the same boat. In my church, we walk in, the first thing we say is all of us are in this together. We have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We do not walk up and say, hey, God, we've done much better this week. No, we walk in, and the first thing we say as a congregation is, I am a poor, miserable sinner. Let's get this right up front, God. We're not coming and saying we only need a little Jesus today. We're coming and saying, without Jesus, I got nothing but sin. Let's get it straight. So that's what I would say is always point them to the glory of God in Christ. What, who is this God? What does he want you to know about him? No one has ever seen God. But the only God who's in the bosom of the Father, that one has revealed God unto us. What does God want you to know about him? He wants you to know his love in Christ. That's the most important thing you can know about God is that he is in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He is the God who saves by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. That's who your God is. That's the most important thing you can know about God and that's the most important thing you can say to others about God. Now they say, oh, well, that's cool. I can do whatever I want. What is it? What does he care? You say, oh, he cares deeply. Right? He cares deeply because this is also the God who is holy and without any corruption. And his will is perfect and that will doesn't change. It doesn't matter what America decides is good. It doesn't matter what we decide is good. The will of God is revealed in his law. And we don't get to change that. We don't walk up and say, oh, well, you know, who cares? No, God cares about sin. Did you hear what we said about ourselves when we walked into church? We didn't say, well, God, we've progressed in society enough that we don't think those things are sin anymore. Just thought I'd let you know. No, we don't. We walk in and we say, according to your law, as revealed in your word, we are sinners. And according to that law, in your revealed word, we deserve death. We're not going to soften the law. We, we teach it because God says it. But that's not the point. The point of the law is to get us to Christ, the one who fulfilled the law on your behalf. The one who said, I came to do your will, O God, as we said in the psalm today, Psalm 40, right? See, this is the point, is, is we're always, in, and when we're talking about God, we're talking about us and God, we're always moving the discussion to what God has done in Christ. 
Where does that leave me? It leaves me as a sinner who repents of my sins and always turns to Christ and say, forgiveness there. Because of your mercy in Christ Jesus, God, that's why I'm talking to you. That's the way our confession reads. Does that make sense? Susan. This is my reason. Okay. I think I've told this to you. Yes, probably. Take communion. Yep. Yeah. Given for you. Given for you. Take that into your mouth. You swallow it. You it down. It becomes part of you. It's in your body. It is you. And God is going to see Christ in you. Uh huh. If you, when you have the faith to know that that is Christ, He's mm-hmm. never going to turn his back. Yep. Never. All right. And then my other thought process, these doubts that get into your mind, uh-huh. is the evil foe working on you. Right. Trying to That's get right. you away from God. What is he trying? Yeah, get you away from God. Remember that that evil, this, this is important. And, 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 and whatever. Um, evil is not trusting in God's promise. We all think it's behaving badly. No, that's just a symptom. Evil is really not believing God. See, this is the issue is, did God really say? And if he did, is that actually the thing you should listen to? Or is there some better advice you could take? Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to live a boring life and just not sin. That's no fun. I want to have fun, which is sinning. And that works because I have fun on the weekends and I come Sunday morning confessing God forgives and we're good to go. Well, that's not out of the mouth of God. That's out of the mouth of Satan. Satan is the one who has lied to you and made you believe that sinning is fun and righteousness is boring. That's not believing the word of God. The word of God says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. These are good things. This is what heaven will be. It's sin that deceives us into thinking something other than the word of God. God's word says, you're saved because this is what I've done and I love you. And we say, well, I want to figure it out in here. I want to feel it. I want to measure salvation by me. See, and that's not God. That's, that's a deception. So what we want to do is we want to keep, keep going to the Word of God. Keep looking to where God points us, which is our Savior Jesus. Always. So when you die, when you die, you know what your pastor want, you want your pastor to talk about? Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. Because that's the resurrection that is yours. Right? Okay, number two. There we go. Now this one's even bigger. Number two. <laughs> that was nothing. This one's the big question. Number two, whom has God sent? So Jesus says, believe in him whom he has sent. The work of God is to believe in the one that God has sent. Who has God sent? Jesus. Okay? Now, the word sent is apostle. Who do you think of when you hear the word apostle? The disciples. Well, they're sent to represent the one whom God sent. Okay? So, in the Gospel of John... Jesus is the one that God sent. Now, the weird thing is in the prologue, remember, it goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, right? And through Him all things were made, and apart from Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. What? It's supposed to say Jesus, but it says John. 
And it says this. Now, now this one sent from God named John, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Because the true light that was enlightening all men was coming into the world. And so he came as a witness to that light. Now, now that, that light came into the world, he came to his own, but his own people rejected him. And then it says the weirdest thing. It says, but to all who believe in him. So even in the midst of this rejection, there's going to be faith given. And whoever believes in him, he gives the power to become the children of God. Children born not of, a, of, a, of the blood or of the flesh or of a husband's will, but born of <coughs> God. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. See how it works? It's, it's that all the sending of God, the sending of Moses. Why did Moses come? To point us to the one whom God was going to send. And it all culminates then in the sending of Christ. This is the one that God sent. Isaiah. There will be a sign. A virgin will be the child and give birth to a son. You will call his name. Which means God with us. This is the one that God has sent. In Ezekiel, God is so annoyed with his people Israel. He sent them into exile in Babylon. And what's worse is all the pastors are awful. They're just like all bad pastors. Yeah, then he looks down and he goes, all the shepherds of my people are worthless. They're just useless. They're leading them astray. They're not pointing them toward me. They're pointing to all kinds of other things out there. And he says, here's the deal. I'm so sick of this that I myself will shepherd my people. And then Jesus stands up in John chapter 10 and says, I am the good shepherd. And I say, who, who do you think you are? See, I'm the one that God has sent. I'm the one God has sent. So look at Isaiah 55. Just for a second. Let's go to Isaiah. Well, let's just go to... Let's read all of Isaiah today. Why not? We have lots of time. Isaiah 55. Isaiah is a huge book in the Old Testament. Um, remember that, that as you're turning there, what's the book quoted the most in the New Testament? Isaiah. Not Isaiah. That was a trick question. <laughs> the Psalms. What book is quoted the second most in the New Testament? Isaiah. Good. What about third? No, not Genesis. Good try, though. No. Deuteronomy. Psalms, Isaiah, Deuteronomy. Now, don't give up. What are the three, three sections of the Old Testament? The Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Luke 24, 44. I told you that in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, it's all about me and my suffering and my death and resurrection, right? So, what is the Testament quote? The Psalms, Isaiah, and Deuteronomy. Three most quoted books, okay? That was all to give you time to get to Isaiah. All right, that was just extra knowledge. Just fun stuff. So, Isaiah 55. Let's read verses 1 and 2. We've read this before, but just read it again, just in case you don't have it memorized. All right, Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And he who has no money, come, buy your meat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Okay, so he's, so he's saying, don't work for bread that spoils, but work for bread that ends up in eternal life. And Isaiah 55 says, there's bread that you can have for free. How do you have it? By listening to Yahweh. Jesus is saying, I'll give you that bread. Now, go to Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. Return there, but water the earth, 
making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that he that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose, that, that which I purpose. And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Okay. Who did who sent what? Right? Who sent what? God sent his word, and it will do what he, he promises it will do. Jesus says, believe in the one whom he has sent. Okay? So these passages of Isaiah are actually being slammed together in the speech of Jesus. He is the bread that ends up in eternal life. He is the one who the Father has sent to accomplish the Father's will. Well, this is the same gospel that identifies Jesus as the word. Okay, so these promises of God that are encapsulated in Isaiah are now being given to the people through the person of Jesus. And, and we're going to keep, re- we don't have time today. We're going to keep reading this speech where he keeps using these ideas from the Old Testament to point to himself. Okay, which is exactly what we're supposed to be doing is when we read this, we say, Jesus is the one that God has sent to accomplish salvation. Jesus is the one that God has sent for us to eat and drink and receive eternal life. Jesus is the one that God has sent to take upon himself your sins and to give to you his righteousness. That's who Jesus is. We can say no more. Okay, any questions on that? There's a lot more to it, by the way. Yeah. Can't we also say, though, with all this conversation we've had, that he also sent the Holy Spirit? Well, that's later. Oh. That's going to come later. Okay. Okay? John does this. This is a very John thing. He does this in 1 John as well. He just doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. Just like, whatever. And then all of a sudden, he's going to mention them, and he's going to be all over the place. So you get these illusions, like in John 3, you know, born of water and the Spirit. Kind of like, what is the Spirit? We haven't even talked about this. Right? In the prologue, there is no Holy Spirit. It's just God the Father and God the Son. There's just two of them working. There's no Holy Spirit. It's just kind of John, like, hello, John, Trinity. And then later, he's going to be like, now, here's the thing. I'm going to send you my Spirit, because without my Spirit, you wouldn't understand any of the words I said. But when the Spirit comes, then you'll understand all these words, and all these words will end up in eternal life for you. Because the Spirit will do it. And I'll send you another counselor who is the Holy Spirit. Right? And all of a sudden you're like, dude, what is up with this Holy Spirit? You're like obsessed with him. And that's exactly what John does. Same thing in 1 John. He doesn't mention them at all until the end of chapter 3. And then once he mentions them, he's like, now, you've got to test all the spirits out there because not all spirits are from God. But the Spirit that is from God is the Spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And all of a sudden it's all about the Spirit. And the Spirit is a guarantee of salvation. The Spirit is how you know. And the Spirit is this. And the Spirit is that. And you're like, whoa. But this is the way John does it. He kind of just holds the spirit off for a while. And then Jesus says, you know, now that I go and die for you and rise again, then I'll send you the Holy Spirit. So John actually ends in John chapter 20. Jesus shows up to the disciples and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that, that's, why, that's how it ends. That's how it gets us there. But it's John. You got to deal with it. He just does stuff a little differently. The right way, by the way. <laughs> Different way. The correct way. Okay, number three. We gotta get through this section. What does the crowd demand of Jesus? A sign. A sign. Give us a sign. So he feeds five thousand people with, you know, some bread and some fish. He walks on water. They say, Where have you been? How'd you get here? What's going on? He goes, you're not coming to me because you saw signs. You came to me because you're hungry and I fed you. And, and they're like, and so then he gives all the speech. He goes, okay, good. Give us a sign. And he goes, what's the sign he's going to give them? What? Dying yes. Okay. The sign that he will give them is this. Now, there are seven signs in John that are all designed for pointing us to that. And remember, whenever I say a cross, I also mean the resurrection. It's one event. The death and resurrection of Jesus, right? So, all the signs of the Gospel of John, 
water into wine, healing of noble and son, healing of a, healing of a man born blind, feeding the 5,000, walking on water. That's five, we have two more. What else you got? John chapter nine. Raising the dead. That's 11, good. Raising the dead, what's nine? Come on, don't you guys have the chapters of John memorized? <laughs> John chapter nine. Who sinned that this man should be born Blind, the healing of the blind man. Okay, so seven signs in the Gospel of John, but they're signs not in and of themselves the accomplishment of salvation, but pointing us to the accomplishment of salvation. Right? And Jesus said, All these signs are that you might know that I am He, that I am the one that God has sent, that I am Yahweh in your midst to accomplish your salvation, that I am the bread of life that I am the light of the world, that I am the gate, that I am the good shepherd, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that I am the true vine, that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Okay? That's what all of this is pointing us toward. Okay? So, so this is, they're demanding of Jesus another miraculous sign. And he's going to say, hmm, huh, I am. Right? I am. Okay, it's time. So let's pray. Any quick questions before we go? We have like 30 seconds. We do have Bible study. Oh, we do have Bible study Wednesday? I am in town Wednesday. I'm leaving Thursday. So yes, I am in town Wednesday. So we have Bible class 7 o'clock right here, the book of Acts. And we're in 17. So Acts 17. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for all things that are needed, have been done through our Savior Jesus. By your Spirit, keep us in the true faith and enliven our tongues to be tongues that witness to your love in all that we say and work in us that our lives might also reflect the glory of God in the face of Christ. That when people see our good deeds, they might glorify you as our Father in heaven. We ask you now to bless us this day. Keep us in your grace. In Jesus' name. Thank you all.